We've been talking about keys to the kingdom and you're going to have to pay attention to this when I say that, because you, you're going to hear me say a couple of things and then you're going to assume I mean something. There's one thing about me. You'll never you'll never be in the dark of where I stand. And I don't say anything encryptively like, well, did he mean that? I will tell you what I mean. And I've never got aggravated one time, but I got aggravated one time. An old boy said up here was helping one time. He said, well, what pastor is trying to say? I said, don't you ever tell someone what I was trying to say. So have you ever seen the TV commercials? It's, it's, it's everywhere. And it says, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> ever seen that? Of course you have. So here, here's the scenario in case you don't own a television here where it's at. So we had this phone call and this guy's either in the park or she's on the floor. And he goes, and they called this operator and said, I've fallen and I can't get up. And you know what he says? He goes, help is on the way. What he says. You know what he doesn't say? What did you do, dummy? <laughs> so the guy has got this life alert and he goes, I've fallen and I can't get up. So the operator doesn't say, well, what was you doing when you fell? Well, here's what I was doing. I was skateboarding with my grandson and, and the guy says, well, now, how old are you, sir? Well, I'm 75. Well, first of all, you're a knucklehead for skating with an, on a skateboard. And because you're a bonehead, I think it would teach you a lesson if we just cut you off and let you lay there and think about while you're hurting. That never happens. I don't think. Sure it does. It happens in the church. I'm not saying this is, but if this was my last sermon, if my steroid shot doesn't go good today, this would be the last message I would ever give you. This one. The last seven sayings of Christ was, was the thing that carried the most weight in his whole ministry. When, when a person's at his last dying breath and they lean over to hear what is being whispered out of his mouth for the last thing, those words are most important. This message in the next couple of weeks probably carries more weight than anything we can talk about. James, which is the only pastor in the New Testament, and what I like about James more than anybody I like Paul. I like them all. But James is my kind of guy because he's dealing with a, a congregation. Paul was the missionary and evangelist, if you would, that he just come in the door, say a few things, get them wound up, get them stirred up and he leaves. You know, kind of like the grandkids. But the pastor. He's there when the evangelist is gone. This is who James is. And matter of fact, as you well know, they threw him off of a 90 foot cliff by the church and killed him later on. I don't expect that to happen today because we're not built on a cliff. But James chapter five, verse 19 and 20, two translations, the King James, New King James. Brethren, we know that he's speaking to Christians because the word brethren is a Greek word called Adelphos, means a woman's uterus. Born of the same womb. 
So he's not talking about sinners and saints. He's not talking about somebody that's born of, of, of another mother's womb. He's talking about the same woman's uterus. The same people that are born by one womb, and it's the womb of the Spirit of God. He's, talking about, he's not talking about religious people. They had them going on, but he said, brethren, those that have been born again by the Spirit of God, that is me. I'm not speaking to a bunch of religious people this morning. I don't care if you're Baptist, Catholic, whatever you are in labels. I'm not speaking about it. I want to know, have you been born again by the Spirit of God? Then you are a brethren or a sister. Not just anybody that'll fall into the church. If you have repented of your sins and you have turned towards Christ, repented towards God, Acts 20 says, and turned towards Christ, then you, by the Spirit, are considered a brethren, born of the same womb. If anyone among you wanders off from the truth and someone turns him or her back, then let him know that who turns a sinner, and he doesn't refer to him as a sinner, it means that there's a difference between being a sinner and then a Christian doing sinful things. Absolutely. That the error of the way, it says, turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The reason why I can tell you that is 1 John 1 and 7 and 1 John 1 and 9. He said, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all S-I-N. Two verses later, but if we confess our N-I-S-S, he will forgive us of our sins. John 1 and 7 means that someone that is in sin against God or in opposition because they've never accepted Christ as Savior. But we all know that you can be born again and still do dumb things. Turn to somebody and say, hey, I know that's true because I've, I've known you more than three minutes. So when James is talking about saving a sinner from their ways, he's not talking about someone that's never confessed Christ. He's talking about someone within the church that has, has made wrong choices and bad decisions. Look what it says in the Message Bible. My dear friends, that if you know people who have wandered from off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them and get them back and you will rescue a precious life from the destruction and, and prevent it an epidemic of wandering away from God. So he's telling you, if there's people in the church, in the church that are saved and born again, that we are all are capable and have done things that are probably not in line with the word of God. And whether it be bitterness or hatefulness or anger or whatever it may be, here's the deal. If you watch these people wander off and, 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 and get off course, then, then it's almost like they've fallen and they can't get up and you say, well, good, they deserve it. Somebody to ask me, he said, hey, where's so-and-so? You sat right there on the front row. Well, they used to come and then they did that and he did that and she did that and they separated and they divorced and, and some of them would say, well, did you, get, did you even call them? I said, well, no, they deserve it because they blah, blah, blah. That's really the mindset that's in most churches today. People are crying out for help and it's our responsibility to help them. No matter what they've done. And our responsibility is try to do two things. We're going to talk about the King James and the New King James says two things, that we will save a soul from death. And in that process, we will cover a multitude of sins. Two things. 
by going after someone that maybe has wandered away from the flock, by going after someone that, that did, made a bad decision and a wrong choice, but we know for a fact that they love God, we are commanded to go after them and save them. And not only save them, but cover them of a multitude of sins. This is what I want to talk to you about today. I wrote this that maybe it's because that we the church that we've offered no covering for the sons and daughter of God who has failed and fallen. And now these modern day Adams and Eve's are still hiding in the bushes as fugitives among the fig leaves in the garden of guilt and shame. You know, them. you know, them. you know, and set beside people in churches that, that love God and made a commitment to God and something happened, whether it was a divorce or whatever it may be. And you know them. And now then they're, they're nowhere near the church doors. And now then like these modern day Adam and Eve, they're hiding in the garden of guilt and shame behind the fig leaves of as being fugitives and hiding out from God. And it's our responsibility not only to find them and to save them, the word save, it means to help them, but to cover them. And there's a huge difference next week. We'll talk about covering and covering up. I'm not here to cover up anything, but I'm here to cover them. Psalms 91, he covers us with his pinions and under his wing, we trust. Where would I be today if he did not cover me while I was still making dumb decisions? Now be careful with your halo because your horns really hold those things up there. Some religions are more focused on how to discover the fallen rather how to cover the fallen. Remember in the garden, God covered what he discovered. Think about that. God covered what he discovered. It's a concept that we know that is true that even before that man sinned, that because God's redemptive plan, that God wasn't doing anything as far as his work of eternity by the whims of, of, of day-to-day uh, problems and, and, and trials and tragedies. It means that God had set out a course a long time ago before the world began. It tells us that Christ was slain from the foundations of the earth. But we know for a fact that God placed the skins of animals upon the animals before man ever sinned. God was already prepared for redemption before the sin came upon mankind. And in that process that when God discovered the problem here, the first thing he did, he did not say, well, you deserve it. The first thing he did was he covered them. Now, there are consequences for their disobedience. I'm not telling you this morning, you can go out and live like the devil and live like hell and get away with it because you can't. Because if you do, you will get a ticket. (laughs) 
It's okay, I get them too. But the process is the first thing that God did, he didn't lead them to lie there naked and ashamed, embarrassed and humiliated. What did he do? He covered them. He covered them. Something that's crept in within the church is that this spirit of anti-God that when people and, and, and the brethren and sisters in the community of faith, that when they make mistakes and they do, and when things happen and they do, the first thing that we do because it, 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 we, we find ourselves in a position that we somehow in some sadistic way, we love it when they're humiliated and embarrassed. Oh, it'll get quiet. Because somehow that makes you feel a little bit bigger and better than they are. And I got two words for you in the Greek. You're not. So what did God do? Well, Adam was foolish. We know for a fact that Adam had fallen. And we know for a fact that Adam had failed. But there was one thing that we know for a fact that was written almost 2,000 years later, that Adam was still referred to as the son of God. Luke 3 and 38 says it like this. Watch this. Which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. 2,000 years later, some 1,800 years later, even after he sinned, if you would, or so later than that, but God says that even though that he fell and even though that he made a mistake and even though that he was foolish and even though that he failed miserably for all mankind to follow him. But one thing is for sure that he's still my son. And I will cover him from being humiliated and embarrassed. And, and I cannot change the consequences of his of his actions. And it was the removal of the garden in the garden. But one thing about it, I will never allow him to run around naked. I won't allow him to run around humiliated. I will cover him. And protect him. And he did. And I don't know where in the church that we get off that somehow that it's our job to point the finger. And when people make a mistake and, and do dumb things, it's our job to broadcast it on, on, on the big screen. It's not. Our job is to go find them, see if we can help them, protect them and cover them. So, and through the years, somebody come to me and say, hey, what about so-and-so? And I say, you know what? They're OK, blah, blah, blah. Even though I know the real truth, I'm doing my very best to protect them. Absolutely. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do. And I will tell you, if you will make a living by doing that, the Bible says that you'll stop an epidemic of people wandering from God because you've heard me say the church is full of hypocrites. Well, I'm telling you, come on, there's room for one more. Just come on. But make no mistake about it. I don't want you to raise your hand, but some of you have been coming here a long time and I'm sure in the last 25 or 35 years, I'm sure somewhere that you made a dumb decision. But you know what? You'll find out that's true that through the years that most of the people knew nothing about it because it was our responsibility not to cover it up, but to cover you. The prodigal son, 
But the Bible says when he came to himself, it means that he knew what was going on. So he said, hey, listen, I think I'll go back to my dad. Now, we know for a fact, it's kind of funny about the prodigal son. There's no woman involved. There's no mother involved. Because she comes home from the grocery store, she says, where's Junior? And he said, well, I, I let him go. I sent him off to another country. And she said, you did what? I carried that boy for nine months. I raised him. But we know for a fact that after a while, through the process of time, we talked about the prodigal last week, no boundaries. That's the word prodigal means without boundaries. And I need you to hear that. The word prodigal is not in the Bible. It just means a man or a woman that, that refuses to be in any boundaries and they just go. There's a lot of people in churches that have found themselves in that position and they left, they left the confines of the church. They left the boundaries of the word of God and they want to do their own thing. And, and I'll tell you, there's nothing you can do to stop them. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I don't care if you raised them right. I could care less. But I will tell you, the Bible says that God in Revelation, that God gave a certain woman, Jezebel, the spirit of, of, of space and grace to repent. And when the prodigal finally figured this thing out, he came back smelling like he's been in a pig pen, which he had. And when the father saw him, what's the first thing the father says? When you get cleaned up, I'll put a robe on you. What's the first thing he did? Put a robe on him, cover him up. You don't have to change clothes. You don't have to take a bath. You don't have to get your life right. Somebody said, well, when you get your life right, God will accept you. Then you will never accept God. The great thing about the covering of God is this, is that he's in the business of covering up. He's not promoting the pig pen. He's not encouraging you to go out and live in the pig pen. He's just saying, if you find yourself that you have cut all the fences of boundaries, you've left the principles of the word of God, you're doing your own thing. And once you get out there and do your own thing, you figure out that it's not a good thing. I told you, somebody said, well, the thing of Christianity, what you need to do is just go somewhere and find yourself. Well, I did. And I wasn't impressed when I found myself. So I came back to God. And I was a mess. And he didn't give me a lecture. He didn't say, stand out there in the crowd and be humiliated. He said, come here. And what did he do? He, he clothed me in the robe of righteousness of his son, Jesus. Because he did not want me to be embarrassed. So they talked about, he, even in the garden, said, who told you you were naked? You know, there's a difference between being nude and naked. Nude is when you're in a shower by yourself. Naked when you come out and there's a ladies meeting going on. That's different. <laughs> it's never happened, but I'm just telling you. When you hear the word naked in the Hebrew, it means there's humiliation, shame, guilt. And God said this, you made a mistake, but I, I don't want you to go through life humiliated in shame and guilt. So I'll cover you. And now James is commanding his church as he has covered us and clothed us. So, too, we need to take the responsibility of covering one another with the love of Christ. It doesn't mean that we are promoting and encouraging their pernicious ways. We're here to tell you that when they make that journey back to repentance, don't bring it back up again. 
One of the greatest challenges that we experience as Christians today is to resist the temptation to allow what has happened in our past to determine who we are today. I wrote in here our confession or, or my confession. I must remain consistent in these three things. I've endured what happened to me yesterday. I survived what happened to me yesterday. But I am not what happened to me yesterday. Some of you might have made a mistake, but you are no mistake. Some of you may have had accidents, but you are not an accident in the eyes of God. We can't redo our past, but we certainly do not have to repeat our past. That's where insanity comes in, doing the same thing, wanting a different response. And I found out through the years in, in our Christian walk of walking with Christ for over 40 years in, in, in a really wonderful way, I, I found out this, that God has been so faithful that when I cut through the fences and I dug under the fences and, and especially being young that years ago that I wanted to do my own thing in my own way. And I'm not talking about pimps and prostitutes and plumbers. I'm talking about things with the anger of being mad or cutting somebody off or giving peace of my mind. And I didn't have much to be left. And, and the Holy Spirit said, don't do it. Don't say that. You're going to regret it. And I said, oh, and I said it anyway, and I regret it. But as we get older, hopefully, that we learn the process. And I found out, I found out through the years that the older I get, the more life lessons that I give to some of these younger ones here. I give a lot of lectures, not in the church, but when you're not around. Because I want them to survive. I want them to make it. I want them to overcome in everything. But I'm not going to make it a habit and I'm not going to promote their imperfections. I'm here to cover you. Joseph has two sons, and of all the things that happened to him, as you well know, these two sons, the first one was named Manasseh, and the second was called Ephraim. Manasseh in Hebrew means to be forgetful, and Ephraim means to be fruitful. If we are ever to become fruitful, we've got to first to learn to be forgetful for the pains of our past. Joseph taught us a great lesson that of all the things that's happened to us that we did not want, we did not expect, and we did not deserve. He said, I had two choices. I can live a, a bitter life or I can live a better one. And of all the people that hurt you in the church, of all the people that lied about you in the church, a lot of the so-called saints that said something bad against you in the church, then you can carry resentment in your heart, but you're the only one that's been punished. I'm telling you, the greatest thing you can do is to save them, forgive them, let that thing go and cover them, protect them from, from the errors and the poisons and the devices of other people, because that's what God did to us. And I hadn't done anything stupid in a long time. I mean, not really stupid, like in a long time. But you know, if I do, I would really appreciate you're not really putting it in the front page of the arm, right? And so the way that happens is, is I don't do that to you. It's called the law of reciprocity. 
And even though you, you run off the road and you make mistakes, we do our very best to cover it up, to cover you. Are you okay? I, I know you fell. I know you're hurting. I'm not going to ask you how you fell. It was probably a dumb thing to be on a pair of roller skates. I'm not going to get into that. I'm just telling you, are you okay? And my job is to protect you and cover you and promote you so you can further your walk with Christ. And the church would be a lot better place if we would just disarm and love everybody. And instead of trying to discover the imperfections of one another, if we'll just learn to learn to cover the imperfections of one another. And by no means, and I'm telling you that these people, they, they have a license to, to disobey and disregard the things of God because you know that's not what I'm saying. I'm not. If you come to my office and say, hey, boy, last week my wife and I would not get along. I said, well, tell me about it. Well, I don't know what's wrong with her. I stayed out for three days and run up a bar bill and you know immediately I'm going to hit you right on top of the head. <laughs> but I'm not going to broadcast it. I will tell you, that's, there's a better way of living than that. So James is telling us, if you find somebody, you know somebody that's, that's hurting, that, that's made a bad mistake, they fall and they can't get up, we'll help them. And we'll prove to you next week how powerful that really is. So this morning, in the book of Numbers, that for, for you that are pretty good students, so how this kind of ties in uh, before we get to the New Testament next week is really pretty good. But there are six cities that was placed, three cities on the east side of Jordan and three cities that was placed on the west side of Jordan where the accused was concealed and covered. And as only as, as long as the high priest, the one who declared his innocence, remained alive. So we don't have to turn there, but I want you to hear what's going on. The people of God, that if... if if men were working in a field and one of them accidentally went to swing an axe and somebody didn't tell him I'm behind you and he hit him in the head with this axe and killed him. The law said an eye for an eye that the relatives could take your life because you took his. It's referred to as manslaughter. No, it's not malicious murder. And, and it's not a spoiler alert, but even in the cities of refuge, they would hold hearings. You just, if you were guilty, you couldn't just hide out. So pay attention to me. You couldn't just hide out. They would hold hearings. And they had judges in, in, in these cities of refuge. But these cities of refuge, three on each side, was a place that if something happened accidentally that you did not mean to happen and your life was being threatened by the family member, or the, then you could run to these cities of refuge and if the priest declared you to be innocent, that your, your, your avenger could not get to you. It was a walled city. Now, not for sure what the period of time was, but they would hold meetings and councils and they would bring them to the magistrate of the city and they would go through the evidence. And this is what they say. It's true. There's eyewitnesses. We didn't mean for it to happen. 
We have a hundred eyewitnesses that, that the guy stepped in front of him, but the law of Moses said it, a lie for a life. So, so we're here because we didn't mean for it to happen. And so the high priest said, okay, so here's the, here's the verdict that's being rendered. As long as I'm high priest, that your avenger cannot get to you. There's a wall city, we have guards, and you're safe in here. Now keep in mind, if we have an eyewitness that says you intentionally murder someone, then out you go. But within these six cities, that you could come and, and you could seek some type of a, asylum for something that accidentally happened. And the scripture says, as long as the high priest that declared you innocent was alive, your avenger could not get to you. But when the high priest died, then that left you open for the accuser to come get the accused. Hebrews chapter seven, verse 22 and 24. Because of this oath or guarantee, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. It's telling you that priests have died. But because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. Let me explain. Jesus is the guarantee of a better agreement from God to his children. And over time, that when the high priest in one of these cities of refuge died, the accuser could come and take revenge on the accused. But because Jesus lives forever, he will never stop serving as high priest Jesus is our protector and our covering. So let me say that in English. The Old Testament set up this structure that if a sin incurred and it took the life of another, the people of God could run to one of these cities of refuge and they would be protected within its walls. And when the high priest heard all the evidence and all the facts was presented, and when the high priest that was alive that time, that he made a verdict and he said this, all the facts has been presented, the evidence has been brought forth, and here's the deal. Whatever happened was happened involuntary. It was on accident. And they declared it. And even though the mob is outside the city accusing and, and they want death to be upon your head, but this is the deal. The high priest said, as long as I'm alive, they can't touch you. So they stayed within the city. But the problem was when the high priest died, the gig was over. And if the accuser heard about it, they legally had a right to go into the city as a refuge and say, the high priest that declared innocence is dead now, so you have to release him to me. And that was a pretty good gig as long as the high priest was alive. But how many knows that people don't live forever? 
Some of us are getting older tomorrow. But Hebrew tells it this way, that Jesus, the word of the book of Hebrews is this, Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than the law. He's better than the Testaments. He's better and greater than all of it. And Hebrews says it like this, but as the Old Testament, they had cities of refuge where the high priest pronounced them innocent. And as long as the high priest was alive, the people's sin could not be remitted against them and they could live in peace and harmony. But when the high priest died, the accused had to be released back to the accuser of the brethren. You understand where this is going. But the third day when Jesus rose from the dead, he lives forevermore. We have a high priest that will never, ever die again. He lives forever. And if Jesus, our high priest, lives forever, then the accuser of the brethren, which is the enemy of our soul, can never, ever take vengeance out on us again for our sins. Why? Not because we didn't deserve it. It's because our high priest, Jesus, protects us. Anybody besides me and Melissa over there done done things? It's not your fault. I know it's not your fault. The Bible refers to it as the accuser of the brethren. Your enemy doesn't have to make up stories and lies. He's got enough stuff on you without lying about it. But here's the deal. As a son of God, as a daughter of God, but as a son of God, that I run to him. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run in it and they shall be saved. I will say to the Lord that he's my refuge and my fortress and my God in him will I trust and he shall cover me with his feathers and under his wing that I shall trust. We run to the cities of refuge, which is Christ. But the difference is now then that we have a high priest that lives forever. And the enemy of our soul can and will never have vengeance of death and destruction on us. Why? It's because our high priest lives forever. So this morning, what I'm here to tell you is that if God began the institution of covering and protecting his own, then we within the church, we have to, and we take full responsibility of covering and protecting those have, have fallen. And we don't need to know what happened. It's not important that what happened. A few years ago, Gail and I was heading down to San Antonio, it's been a few years ago, and we got somewhere about, it's between Waco and Austin down through there. And I think Dave and Shirley Byers was with us, with the kids was with us. And I'll tell you the truth that traffic stopped. Stopped. And when we finally, on this interstate, when we finally got to where we could go, it was, it was stopped for an hour and a half. 
but there were two vehicles. One was a van and one was another car. And I will tell you that there, you could see white metal and, and blue metal, but you couldn't, you couldn't make out that it was a, a car or a canoe. And there was bodies everywhere. And I really believe it was a church van. And when we got close enough, we weren't far behind it. We probably wasn't, a, we weren't far behind it, a quarter of a mile maybe. We didn't see it happen, but we wouldn't. But I will tell you that what did not happen, when you, when the paramedics and the police officers arrived upon the scene, they wasn't interviewing people about what happened. They were only interested in helping those that have fallen. And I don't know why in the church that we've made it our policy to to, to be the investigating reporters of we, we've got to know what happened. You don't have to know what happened. They're hurting. They've fallen. They're separated. They're divorced. Something has happened and you don't, you don't need to go in details about anything. All you need to do, what can I do to help you? What can I do to save you? What can I do to cover you, protect you? And even though you did a dumb thing, it's okay. I mean, it's okay. I understand. But I want you to know in this place of refuge that you're welcome in here. And I'm going to do my very best to make sure the accusers that come against you can't come against you. Now, we will find out if you're guilty. But until then, we want you here. Why? Because that's the way God does it. And I'm so glad this morning in closing that God's in the business of covering us. That we don't have to go around humiliated, intimidated, and in shame and guilt. God's not in the business of embarrassing us. He's in the business of covering us. So that's our responsibility this morning. That's our responsibility. We live in very fierce times right now. We live in very fierce times. The Bible says that the love of many will grow cold. The scripture says the day will come where it'll be so grievous that men's heart will fail them. Now, what I can say about Bible prophecy is what's going on right now with Hamas and Israel. Just keep the Bible in one hand, the newspaper in the other. I'm not making any predictions, but I will tell you, I will tell you this morning that, that there was every time where the people of God need to be the people of God and pray for the nation of Israel. We need to do that. Yes, amen. And people ask me, of course, what do you think? I don't think anything. I'm too old to think. All I know is to tell you this, that we have a responsibility to love one another, to encourage one another, and to cover one another, and to help one another when they've fallen. Adam fell, Adam failed. Adam was foolish, but he was still a son of God. Father, this morning that every one of us, that we are recipients 
of the sentence that you placed upon Adam. We're sons and daughters of God, but we know what it's like to live in a, in a world that hates us. We know what it's like to live in, in a society that is against you and against your laws and your will and your way. The accuser of the brother, it is snapping at us. It's like vultures circling around us of all the death and decay that we've accumulated in our life. But, but I'm so thankful that here on 4th Street that there are still cities of refuge where men and women who are born again of God that love you, that stuff has happened to them along the way. We are never exempt from pains and problems and imperfections, but I'm so thankful that, that you've made a place within the house of God, within the church of God, within the sanctuary of God, that we're not here to inspect one another. We're not here as journalists to find out what exactly happened. We're here to only help the fallen and to protect those that are hurting. And that's what you've done for us. And so for every one of the prodigals that are here this morning, let them know that they're not alone. Let them know that they don't have to do anything to get their life right. Let them know they can come into, the, into your presence and you will clothe them once again with the love of God. You're long suffering and you're good and you're patient and you're kind and you're gentle. And that's the clothing that you embrace us with. And for everyone this morning that has received all F's on our report card, and we feel like that we've failed and we are a mistake. We are not. We are sons and daughters of God. So if you're here this morning, ladies and gentlemen, and this is what I can say that you didn't accidentally just find your way here. You're hearing the man of God say, you're in a right place. You're in a good place. You're in a safe place. The evening wolves, the accuser of the brethren, those things that would like to devour you and continually to rob you of peace of mind. We're here to protect you and cover you and surround you with the graces that God has given us. And you can raise your families here. You can raise your children here. We can grow old together because only for one reason, Jesus, our high priest lives forever and our sins can never be remitted against us again. And for that, I'm so thankful. Stand with me if you would this morning, turn to about two people in a very loving way. Just tell them, I love you. I'm glad you're here. Don't come on the stage, I'll run from you. Just tell them, just tell them. Tell them, I, I might have been busy. I didn't, I didn't realize you was banged up. Tell them, I didn't notice the cast that you were wearing. I, did, I didn't notice the markings on your forehead. I, I didn't notice that you was limping. I'm sorry. What happened? How can I help you? What can I do to help you? 
And they may say, well, it was a dumb thing. We don't care if it was dumb. What, what can I do to help you? That is the ministry of Christ. So all you that are wounded and hurting and all you that are despaired and all of you that are thirsty and hungry, let him come. For all you prodigals this morning, you've made your way home. You stumble in the door and we're not asking you to do anything to make your life right. The Father will just clothe you and cover you with the robe of righteousness because you belong to Him. Father, give us peace this morning as we make it our mission and our lifestyle to find the fallen and to protect them and serve them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you believe that this morning, give the Lord a praise offering today, huh? I'm glad you're here. I feel, I feel safe because you're here. Communion servers, please make your way to the front. I know you're hurting and I know you're tired. And I know you have questions. But our focus this morning is not necessarily what happened, but what can I do to help you? That's the way that I want to spend the rest of my life. Jesus sat down to his disciples that night and as it was the custom of the first Passover, they lifted up the bread and the unleavened bread, the bread that that was used. And he said in John six, he said, your fathers did eat of the bread that, that came down from heaven, but they did hunger again. But he said, if any man eat of me, he shall never hunger again. And they took the bread. He lifted up the cup. It was the third cup, three out of four, the cup of redemption. And he said, as it was in the first Passover, they would take the cup, the lamb's blood, that was taken in the shape of a cross upon the doorpost. And when the death angel that night would come over Abaddon, he would pass over when he saw the blood upon the doorpost. And Jesus said, it was prophesied of me that I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And now my Father will take my blood and in the shape of a cross, that your accuser cannot touch you. And as often as you drink of this cup and eat of this bread, remember me. Father, that's exactly what we shall do this morning. We will remember what Jesus did for us. And not only as he saved us, but he's covered us and he's protected us. And so we too 
we will find, as James says, we will find someone that has wandered off the path. We will bring them to the truth and we will protect them. And we have saved a soul and we've covered a multitude of sins and we've healed a generation to come. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.